This is One-on-One's NHL Podcast, where we take on the five hottest issues in hockey with three of our NHL beat reporters. It's time to go five-on-three. That's right. This is five-on-three, Monday, November 20th. I am your host, Matt Costantini, joined by Jackson Heil, Nick Lehman. We got Raffalia in the back. We got a lot to get to this this week, guys. We're through the first quarter mark of the season, a lot of a lot of interesting th- things going on. We're gonna we're gonna talk about all the locals because they're they're heating up. We're gonna get to some chaos that occurred uh, during the last week. Oh yeah, and just some overall thoughts from these first twenty or so games. So let's get right into it. The Rangers seven three and zero in their last ten games, and it's looking like they're putting their early season struggles behind. That top line of Zabanajad, Kreider, and Bushnevich really looks like it's gelling right now, getting a lot of points, kind of looking like they might be a really good top line for the future right now. But they do have some issues. They might be good offensively, but they're having some defensive issues. So what do you guys think about the Rangers right now? Well, first, to interject, obviously they've been playing much better of late. The two games they lost this week to Chicago and Columbus, I thought they played very poorly. I mean, you look defensively in the Columbus game, the only reason they were in that game was because of Henrik Lundqvist. And the Chicago game, you can't allow five goals in the third period and expect to win by any means. But they played very well last night against Ottawa. Offensively, they were very structured. Defensively as well, they played very well. Brennan Smith had a really good game up until he got ejected, ironically, which I have a lot of discretions with that one, but I'll get to that later. But overall, like you mentioned, they have been playing a lot better lately. Defensively, they still do have a lot of issues. Although the penalty kill has been sensational in this stretch lately, at 5-on-5, five five, they've struggled mightily, and that's that's something that will come with adjusting to new, Lindy Ruff's new structure, but it's something definitely to be concerned about going forward. So you were talking about Hank sta- kind of standing on his head, but he's been having his own problems. His save percentage and his goals against are still not what they should be for him. What do you see, Nick? Well, for the Rangers, I think, I don't know, Henrik Lundqvist, he's starting to come back, but I think the last two games have been a little bit of a struggle for the Rangers. I mean, not. I meant to say the road games. Road games have been a struggle for the Rangers. And I think, look, I mean, they're going to have losses. But still, the strong home record speaks to the way they've come back. And I think that, you know, the Rangers could be pushing for a, metro, a spot in the Metro. But getting back to uh, Hank, at least, um, I thought he was not that bad in the Ottawa game, he had posted a shutout. He didn't really have to make many saves, to be honest. He wasn't really uh, testing He was up to the task when he had to. He made really one really quality save. I believe it was in the first period on a two-on-one that he really... That probably should have been a goal, but it was a really nice save. But other than that, he wasn't tested all that much. It was a testament to the defense. But you mentioned the road games. I think the, the Chicago game, which he was pulled in, he was sensational in the second period. He did allow the bad goal... That got through him. I believe it was Cat that scored on him. But the goals he allowed in the third period were all with basically shots that came from within the crease. So that you can't really blame him on. And as I mentioned before, Colum- the Columbus game, the only reason he, the Rangers were in that game was because he was making save after save after save. So I'm not exactly concerned about Lundqvist. He's getting back into his stride right now, and that's exactly what the Rangers need. I kind of want to get back to talking about that top line of Zabanejad and Kreider and Bushnevich. 
Yes, they're putting up a lot of points. I mean, Zibanejad's leading the team in both goals and and points, 10 goals, 20 points overall. But their defensive stats, I know plus minus is kind of a, a weird stat to look at because oftentimes your top line will be going up against the opposite team's best line. But it is something that you need to look at uh, from a defensive standpoint. I mean, minus six, minus three, minus six out of the three of them. Th- that's just showing that they aren't being good enough on the defensive side of the puck. Should there be some form of line change, or are you just willing to chalk up those defensive miscues for the points that they're putting out? I, I definitely don't think it should be a line change. I think that's more attested to personnel decisions of who's on the ice and when's on the ice and finding the right matchups for them. I think they could use that fourth line that they do have with Nieves or whoever you're going to have there. Usually it'll be Fost and Grabner alongside him to kind of eat defensive matchups against opposing top lines. I think that would be the way that they should go. Maybe just don't match up the top line against the opposing top lines because that's where they are going to struggle. You could also put the Kevin Hayes line when they're, he's with Rick Nash, another really good defensive forward, and whoever they're going to have with him. They had Foss there last night, so that's a matchup you could put against their top lines. I'm not necessarily worried about that line because they've been awesome offensively, although 5-on-5 five five, they've kind of struggled scoring-wise. Just I think it'll come down to Elaine Vigneault finding the right matchup for him. Um, for now, I think the Rangers should stay with their lines. I mean, they just came off a six-game winning streak, and then, you know, they've won, as you said, seven out of their last ten. I think for now, just keep things the same. If they start to go downhill like they started at the beginning of the season, then maybe change things up. But for now, I think Rangers are have rebounded quite well from their very poor start. And they're, just to mention, they're lucky it happened this year in mm-hmm. the Metro. I think I mentioned this yes. last week, but... Had this happened last year, this team would have been in a lot of trouble. Oh yeah, given absolutely. Everyone that started so hot. This is a weird year in the Metro. A lot Very, of a yeah. lot of teams aren't really performing up to the way we thought. But to a team that is performing above standards and that is still holding on to the top spot in the Metro, be it by goal differential or what have you, they have twenty five points. The New Jersey Devils are still on top of the Metro. See you smiling like been you've been <laughs> waiting to get to them. Same with you. And I know you guys are two two Devil fans. I have been, <laughs> but I think that this might be their wall. They're they're kind of starting to look like the team everyone thought they would. Four three and three in the last ten, and they've been they've had a few tough games. This past week was rough for them. They played Chicago, they played Toronto, and they played Winnipeg. They kind of did their their Canadian trip. They had that, that good game against Chicago where they went down big early and then they came back. They had that, um, I believe it was like seven or something goals in that game. But against Toronto, without Austin Matthews, they lost one nothing in overtime. I guess that is that is what it is. Toronto's a good team. But then you go into Winnipeg and you get blown out. There's just... There's something about this team right now that wasn't that isn't clicking like it was in the beginning of the season. They're not getting enough depth scoring, and they're not. They're outside of Will Butcher, who has 15 points, and most of them are all of them except for his singular goal that he scored yesterday. They're getting no production out of their defensemen. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to my fellow Devils fan here first. Sure. What are you seeing from this team? I think I'm seeing that the exhaustion of the first month is starting to set in. And because it's a young team, I think it's going to take a while for them to adjust now. I think this week is going to be very important. They do have four games this week. They have two home games in between Thanksgiving. Uh, But they're playing Minnesota, Boston, Vancouver, and Detroit. I think 
this Devils team could beat all four of them. Yeah, I but, think those are very winnable games. Yes, which is why I think this week is very important for them because, again, like these are games they should win, and in this tight Metro race that it's turned into, they need to win if they are serious about trying to make the playoffs. You just Vancouver, I, sorry, Minnesota, that's a tough place to play, but the Wild haven't been playing all that well. Boston's been banged up for who knows how long. And Vancouver, they've all, they've been off to a good start, but they're all they're not all that good. So again, those are three winnable games. Plus, you add in Detroit, who we'll talk about later. But the thing I saw in these last two games, Mont against Toronto, they they played okay. I yeah, mean, I mean, it, it, it is it's, what it it's is. It's not a bad loss getting a point in Toronto, who although have struggled, they're one of the most talented teams in hockey. Okay. Against Winnipeg, I think you have to be concerned with that game. Although Winnipeg is very good. They were exposed defensively. Yeah, I mean, they game. gave up five goals in the second period. You just can't have that. It was exactly. And granted, Winnipeg does have a lot of talent with Shifley, Patrick Line, who hasn't gotten going yet, and among many others, including Blake, Blake Wheeler. Wheeler. Blake Wheeler is one of the most underrated players in hockey. I'm with you on but that. Mm-hmm. I think cons- I would be also concerned about John Hines' deployment of his forwards. I mean, we saw Henrique got put to the fourth line. In terms of practice, like, I know you want to touch on that in a sec, Nicholas. But also, Zaka hasn't been playing well. He's been healthy, scratched on multiple occasions, as well as Drew Stafford. And I think that's something you have to be concerned about, especially with a team that needs to be propelled by their offense. Yeah, they. John Hines has been making a few questionable personnel decisions, and I'm not sure if that's performance based or he's trying to send a message. I know that you mentioned he's been setting Pavel Zaka. He sat Steven Santini for a while, who's been one of their better defensive defensemen in favor of some guys that really shouldn't be getting ice time. Yeah, the Sa- the Santini thing really yeah, didn't make that much threw sense me off. Me. I know he sat Damon Severson for a game or two because after getting his big contract, he really hasn't been living up to it, so that's kind of a message. And then you were mentioning the forwards. I mean, they were boosted when Brian Boyle came back, so that that was a big boost for this team. And they got Travis Zajac back a month before he was expected to be back, so that's another Mm -hmm. boost. And it kind of created this logjam in forwards because you're looking at they still have um, excuse me Nico Heischer on the first line between Taylor Hall. You have Zajac now center centering the second line, and now you're kind of looking at what you want to do with. Uh, Adam Henrique and Jimmy Hayes, kind of, because they've been your your centers on those third and fourth lines, and I haven't been impressed with Henrique this season. He's been very inconsistent on offense. He hasn't really done anything of note. Right. No, I kind of agree, and his contract's up at the end of the year, too. I mean, that's something I think the Devils should be thinking about later on in the season, if whether they're going to re-sign him or not, but... I mean, ever since Travis Sajak came back, you're right, like, these lines have been so jumbled and mixed up that, like, I felt like there was a good chemistry within the lines the Devils had through the first month, and now it seems like, yeah, we do have a surplus of forwards, but I'm surprised that they're, like, healthy scratching Jimmy Hayes, Pavel Zaka. These are the players that have really quietly been doing things for the Devils that have put them where they are right now, that they're even close to a division race. And I, I don't mean to go back to a trade, but that's exactly what I'm going to do. The Taylor Hall Adam Larson trade. As a Devils fan, you do that 10 times out of 10. Absolutely. But, Straight up. But again, the consequence of that was that they'd compromise them defensively. 100%. And that's where they've really. That's where they're going to have issues. That's where they really struggled last year in front of Corey Schneider, who actually has bounced back pretty well this year, mm-hmm. in my opinion. But yes. now that they do have Hall, and they have all these forwards, including Heischer, who they drafted, who has played really well. I think they really need to figure out kind of where they want to play Adam Henrique because 
we, we you've all know Henrique. We've seen him play throughout the years. He's a top six forward, and he has yeah. to be there, and you have mm-hmm. to let him play through those struggles, as well as Zaka. I know he hasn't been in Heinz's kind of corner thus far, but he's a guy that, especially in, I'm not going to call this a year that you're giving up. Obviously, they're in first right now, but it's an evaluation year, and you want a guy like Zaka, who's taken sixth overall, to play through those struggles and kind of learn through that. And I think that's an issue. Obviously, I love I love Wood. He's like one of my favorite players in the NHL. I love his game, as I mentioned last week. But he's a bottom six guy, I think. And that's something I'm with that you on they're that. Gonna have to, I agree. That's something they're going to have to figure out. He's a speed out. and grit guy. And, I mean, the forward situation is only going to get even more complicated when Marcus Johansson finally comes back from his concussion problem. But you were talking about Adam Henrique and... I mean, even with Pete DeBoer, no one really knew where to play him. Is he a center? Is he a winger? You're not really sure with him. But, like I mentioned, I think this team is finally starting to hit a wall. As Nick mentioned, this week is going to be the week that they either keep going higher or if they finally are that team that everyone expected. But going to the last team here that's local, the Islanders, they're kind of surprising people a little bit. No one expected them. Everyone kind of was just talking about them being this middle of the road team that might be selling house, but they really turned their season around. That top line of Tavares, Bailey, and Lee might be the best top line in hockey right now. I don't think it's a stretch saying that based on how they're playing, but I'm I'm very impressed with this team right now. Yeah, that, that's a fair statement, I think, given how t- obviously you have t- t- Tavares is incredibly talented, and Bailey's been off to a ridiculous start. But the difference with this team is the scoring they're getting from that second line, most notably capped by Matt Barzal along with Jordan Eberle. That's been something that they have been thirsting for for so many years. They tried Brock Nelson for two years, basically, in that role, and he was okay. But now they have a proven scorer in Eberle there, you have Barzal, who creates all types of mismatch problems down the middle. That's where they're really dangerous. And you look at that game against Tampa Bay, where you get five goals against them on the road. That's kind of what you want from this team and what you're going to get going forward when the Islanders are playing at their best. Obviously, last night against Carolina, it's the second end of a back-to-back. And Carolina is a team that, although they've they got off to a slow start. They've been red hot lately, and they've been scoring a lot lately. So that's not a game I'm going to put really on them. But overall, you have to be impressed with the Islanders' start. Yeah, good week for the Islanders. I mean, anytime you can go into Tampa and get uh, a win, especially a two-goal win. win, that's a huge win. And they beat Carolina at home earlier in the week and scored six. So as Jackson mentioned, coming back on the second half of that home-and-home and, home and losing. So you got two out of three for the week. That's pretty good. Do you think that... But- I think the one thing that can hold this team back is their goaltending. I know I talked about it a few weeks ago. They still really haven't figured it out. Halak and Grice are still have very pedestrian numbers, more suited for a backup role than a starting goaltender role. Halak's starting to pull it back, but I know they want Grice to be that number one guy. So, is the goaltending going to hold this team back from being a playoff team? I don't think a playoff team. I think they're talented enough where they can make the playoffs, especially with the struggles that have happened in the Metropolitan Division. But if they do get to the playoffs, that's something that is going to hold them back once they get there. I think there isn't really anyone on the market that they can go get, and they're kind of just stuck with these two guys, and they need them to perform. We've seen Grice over the past two years has performed pretty well, along with Halak has had his spurts. Obviously, he was in the AHL last year for a while. But... They really need better performances out of these two, and I, I, I honestly think Halak can give you that. I think Halak is the higher upside of the two. Grice, I think they kind of 
overexpected things out of him given off one playoff series against Florida. But if I'm the Islanders, I'm going to Halak if I can, and that's the guy I'd stick with. Before I get to your point, I want to get something you said about not really anyone on the market they might be able to go after. Depending on what happens in Vegas, if they decide they want to be sellers, maybe they but take will, a flyer but, on Marc-Andre Fleury? But will they be sellers? I mean, they're second in the Pacific right they now. They are, but at some point, they might decide, hey, we don't want to be a playoff team this year, and we want to keep building through the draft. And what? Well, Vegas has also shown off plenty of their goalies. I mean, even, well... Even more than Flurry. Then you have Malcolm Subban that played, and uh, God, they've been through so many they got goals. Pickard Who's, as well. They, Pickard, tra- they just ended up trading Pickard to oh, Toronto. They did, yeah, did they? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, they have too many. Wait, who am I forgetting? The the third guy that started for. I have no idea. Vegas. They've just they've, been they've gone through them. like five goalies. They, 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 they the started their their borderline AHL starter in Maxime Legacy. Oh, That's what yeah. I'm thinking. Legacy. The guy that that they started, but he's not a guy you trade for. I, I probably I, not. I I know you mentioned that. I think. It would be really frowned upon for Vegas to trade on Marc Andre Fleury because that's a guy that they drafted from Pittsburgh, and they were very good options mm-hmm. or young options, you could say there that they could have went with instead of Fleury. I think there was a reason they picked him, and there was a reason they took on that contract because he is a franchise goalie, in my opinion. And also, when they do get him back, he's going to be a big part of whether they do make the playoffs or not. So I don't see Vegas moving on. I like the idea, though. I mean, I think the temptation of a first-round pick might be a little too enticing for Vegas to pass up, but we'll 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 see what happens. Again, there. I I don't know if the Islanders also. I I'm sure they would in terms of like, especially with the concerns about whether Tavares will come back next year. I'm not sure if they'd want to take on that contract necessarily, but definitely an interesting option. So let's get into something a little bit crazy that happened this past week. The Calgary Flames and the Detroit Red Rings. <laughs> there was absolute mayhem in their last game that they had. The, uh, we'll preface this by saying the game got out of hand for a few reasons. The Red Rings were up 6-2 and they showed no signs of slowing down. And I think a few guys were looking to make an impact through through the physicality. But what happened, what, what happened was a player on the Red Wings, Luke Witkowski... He was given a game misconduct for uh, for two fights that he got in, and as he was leaving the area of play, he was walking back to the locker room. Uh, Matthew Kuchuk of the Flames slashed him in the back of the leg, prompting Witkowski to come back onto the ice and to engage in an altercation with him, which just led to everything breaking down. There was goalies fighting. There, everyone yeah, Jim, was fighting Jimmy each Howard, other. Jimmy Howard was throwing. Jimmy Howard was going after everyone. Awesome. Ended in a total of four ejections from the game. Luke Wachowski received a 10-game suspension for coming back onto the ice after being ejected. And what I'm not really sure about is that Matthew Kachuk only received a one-game suspension for his role. I have—I'm I'm a little confused about that because I feel like, personally, the only reason Wachowski came back onto the ice was because of Kachuk, which means that he instigated it and he should receive more games. But what should we make of this absolute madness? I—well— Watching it sometimes as a fan is kind of fun, but clearly for the players on the ice, like this is the last thing they want to be doing. But are you sure about that? I mean, well, well maybe Calgary. Well, probably Calgary was pretty frustrated. They wanted to vent and, some of their frustration. I mean, Kachuk started give, that entire yes, big brawl. Really. Yes, and I think that was either it like just anger for the situation going on, like getting blown out by the wings 
away. I mean, the game ended 8-2. So. Yeah. Yeah. And they added more. Right. They, the time this fight happened, it was 6-2. So, I mean, they still added two more after that. But, yeah, I mean, I guess it's the rule that if you come back on the ice 10 games, which I don't think many of us knew, but I don't think even uh player knew. Because yeah, just just to interject here, yeah, Wit- yeah. Witkowski didn't. Witkowski should have known the rule. Mm-hmm. He should have. Gra- yeah. Granted, he's he's the only one really he can blame himself for the suspension because, although I do think it's a bad rule, I think that he should know the NHL rule book better. Mm-hmm. And especially a player he, like him, he's. I was reading that he is a he's a pretty good player, but he's more known for his physicality. So if he's going to yeah. have that play style, he needs to know what he can and cannot do. Exactly, and. With that said, Kachuk did deserve more of a suspension, in my opinion. I, I love Matt Kachuk. He's incredibly talented. He's a gnat. He's someone you want on your team for sure. But to say that he only gets one game for essentially instigating this entire thing is bizarre, in my opinion. I, mean, I think he could have gotten get... people hurt. I agree. Exactly. I mean, yeah. he should he should have gotten at least a four or five game suspension, in my opinion. I mean, you look at yeah. what happened with Hamannick and Mantha. Their oh, yeah. fight ended up breaking it into the benches, which could have been disastrous. But it's just, uh, it, I, I just disagree with the whole thing. I, I don't mm-hmm. think Winkowski deserved 10 games, although, it was again, it is a rule, but it's a bad one in my opinion. And Kachuk deserved more. I think they both deserved about four or five game suspensions, suspensions in my opinion. No, I agree with that. I originally thought four games at least, just because he basically instigated the entire thing. But I guess... Somehow the league didn't see it that way, and he only got one, which I completely disagree with. But as as much as we don't want to think the 10-game suspension is too much, I agree, but it's the rule, so it's going to be enforced. Uh, there's, no, there's no way around it. Yeah, so just some absolute mayhem in the league this past week. And now we're going we're gonna to reflect a little bit. We're, like I mentioned at the start of the show, we're about 20, 21 games for this season. The first quarter's done. What are what are some overall thoughts and maybe a few specific thoughts about this first quarter of the season? Well, I'll start with the Canadians because they're a team that a lot of people expected to kind of replicate what they did last year, except maybe go farther in the playoffs, given that they had Jonathan Drewen, they had Carl Alsner, they added other pieces as well. But they're off to a really slow start. Carey Price has been one of the worst goaltenders in the league, ironically. And he now just, he's injured. Exactly. And he got he was the guy who got rewarded with a huge extension this offseason. I believe it was 8-by-8 eight, eight eight that he was given. But this is a team that I could see making potentially massive moves, especially given Mark Bergevin's kind of M.O. He could be a guy that could look to move a Max Pacioretty, who has been harshly criticized about potentially being stripped of the sea on his on his sweater as well as a guy like Alex Galchenyuk who for Has multiple not years to anything see, see I disagree with that personally just based on I think that's more of a usage problem with him because he's been demoted to the fourth line on multiple occasions but again you can also say I, I wouldn't necessarily harshly disagree with you if he hasn't lived up to expectations but he's a guy that could be moved maybe a Brendan Gallagher who I know a ton of teams would be interested in that's an interesting scenario to watch out for because the Rangers have connections with Pacioretty he's from New Jersey he loved like the Rangers growing up I believe that's a move that could potentially put the Rangers over the top and I'd be interested to see if they'd be kind of enticed to give up a ton to get a guy like him who can score 35 goals a year. Yeah, the Canadians are kind of known for their rash decision-making. I mean, they fired their coach last season when they were 
top top of the Atlantic. I got to give Bergevin credit on that one. That that was that was pretty brilliant in my opinion. What what are you what are you getting out of the first half first quarter of the season? I mean, I think there's a ton of storylines. I'm gonna go out west with the LA Kings. Like I feel like the Kings are finally back from the team that we saw back and from that three year span between 2012 and 14 when they won two cups against our Rangers and Devils here. Yeah. Which that was a rough one, but Very reminiscent. It's, a, it's a heartbreaking room for those three years. Yes, it was. Here. But like Jonathan Quick is finally back to playing at the level he was during that time. I think players like Dustin Brown, even though he's not the captain anymore, he's finally, you know, decided that he wants to keep playing. He wants to be a part of this team, and just the entire culture. I think it's finally back, and uh, LA can be very dangerous. The, in the West this year. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on that. You're you're absolutely seeing a career resurgence out of Dustin Brown. I mean, he's even on the first line with Anze Kopitar now, and he is performing at such a high level that you never really thought that he would come back to. I mean, I mentioned Kopitar. He's doing. He's having a bounce back year where he was kind of down last year, and now he's leading that team in points again. And you even look at a guy like Drew Doughty, who had a down year again mm-hmm. last year, as this entire Kings team did, and he's back to being one of the top defensemen in the league. And you mentioned it right off the bat. I think them getting Jonathan Quick back was the ultimate move for them. I mean, mm-hmm. they they could have decided to keep Ben Bishop in the offseason, but they knew that Jonathan Quick would come back and be the guy that everyone knew he could be. And, I mean, the guys won two Stanley Cups for a reason. He's a very good goaltender. Yes. I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm going to stick out in the Pacific for a few reasons. The Edmonton Oilers are just not very good. Mm-hmm. I mean, they seem to be a weekly addition on this podcast. Yeah, of, they yep. stink. Why? Yeah, I mean, it's very difficult. I mean, they were. My, I know a lot of people on this show picked them as their Stanley Cup favorite in the preseason edition of this show, and not even just here, across the country, across all hockey, people thought that this team was going to compete for a Stanley Cup. But right now, they're just fighting to stay out of the bottom of their own division. Outside of Connor McDavid, who is phenomenal, everyone knows that, they are getting nothing from anyone else. Cam Talbot is playing awful. He just does mm-hmm. not look like the guy he looked like last year. And I'm just very confused by what is happening to this team. It's it's really amazing because if you look at like their peripheral stats, they're getting a ton of scoring chances and they're getting a lot of quality scoring chances as well. They're still shooting they still have an alarmingly low shooting percentage, which is something that will just increase to the norm as, as going forward. But like you mentioned, if this slump continues, I mean, we're already a quarter way through the season, basically. This is the point where you really find out who teams are, so to speak, of like the beginning of where you could find out whether teams are for real or not, blah, blah, blah. This is a team that needs to get it going quickly. And I, you mentioned the big guy, Cam Talbot. He was sensational for them last year and was one of the best goalies in the league. Arguably could have been a Vesna candidate and probably should have been. He's been on the opposite end of that spectrum this year. And that's a guy who really needs to get it going for them because defensively, I don't think they've been all that poor. I mean, Darnell Nurse has been excellent for them. Clefbaum has struggled this year, but you have to mention, you have to think that he'll get it going soon. It starts from the back with them, and the scoring will come soon. They're just going to need that goaltending to get much better and much better quickly. Because this is such a young team, if they, if they decide they're out of it this year, do you think they try and move any pieces, or do you think that they'll just chalk it up to another to just a bad year and they'll come back next year? Well, they already have the the trade with for Mike Camilleri, which actually happened with the Kings. 
Moving uh, UC Okanen back the other way. Yeah, right. I, just to, I did not like that trade. It, didn't, it kind of just looked like a one-for-one deal. They're, yeah. they're, they're similar players, and it really uh, didn't add th- or subtract the, anything. There's this right. myth that Mike Camilleri could still score. For some he reason. hasn't been able to score Which, in a long no, time. No. There, there's this myth, though, around the league that he can for some reason. I know you guys are Devils fans, so you saw that for a while. Where we didn't, saw his didn't, fall. Didn't he yeah. have like an incredible scoring drought? I, yeah. I don't know if it was last year, but or maybe the year before. It might have been both years, to be where, honest. Yeah. Right. But I just I did not like that trade for Edmonton. And just to mention of when they could they potentially move pieces. Who do they have that they could really move? Because you're not moving McDavid, obviously. Right. They're not going to move Clefbaum or Larson. They're not going to move Dreisaitl. They don't have that many pieces that they could potentially I mean, move. They, maybe, maybe Ryan Strom. They could move the Nuge, maybe. I was going to say Nuge maybe, and Hopkins, maybe. But, but I don't think that they want to sell off this team because they think that they'll be able to compete. They should be able to compete. Uh, we can't figure out why they're not. They're not putting the pieces. I mean, together. and listen, the the two teams in a playoff spot right now are Chicago and Colorado. Chicago's not very good, in my opinion, and we all know that Colorado is going to tail off at some point. Although I I, I do like what they've done young wise. I like the Duchesne trade. Edmonton's only five points out right now. There's a lot of time to make There's up that time. Exactly. Time. Yep. We have three quarters of the season left to play, so I wouldn't panic yet. I said we wait twenty more games, see where they're at, and then kind of assess where they go from there well anything else to add no i mean i think that's it for at least for the oilers like they just need to they have i feel like they have the pieces to be successful why they're not being successful we can't figure out but they have they do have time to put it together but let's see if they can actually do it well here's looking forward to the next quarter when we can finally talk about all-star game maybe trade deadline stuff later on but that's all we have for today, guys. Thank you very much for Jackson Heil, Nick Lehman, Raffalia doing a great job in the back. I'm Matt Costantini.